Welcome to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today, Anna and I are here once again with Kate Elliott, the writer of several books this year. The Very Best of Kate Elliott, Court of Fives, her first young adult novel, and most recently, Black Wolves, a new epic fantasy, which is amazing, and everybody should go read it. Hi, Kate. Hello. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Oh, you know, I love you too. It's always there's always something different. Yes, there is. Welcome, welcome to the episode. Hi, Renee. Hey, Anna. We also had a, like a surprise guest in the form of a spider, but Anna took care of that. He's gone now. The big news today, or this week probably for several weeks after this because white people are really angry (laughs) they have some opinions is the fact that the world fantasy award is no longer going to use the hp lovecraft statue and it's about time agreed agreed what interests me about the whole thing is the way the people who are upset about it are being upset about it I, i i don't even know where to start with this so There's the people who argue we should separate the work from the man because, as we all know, H.P. Lovecraft, who who wrote some weird and fascinating stories that kind of create this mythos of these horrible, nasty elder gods who are all out to get us. And, you know, frankly, as a teenager, I really kind of, although I didn't read them as a teenager, I didn't read them until my early 20s. I, I thought that was like really cool as a At the age I am now, I'm not as enamored of it. Um, For me, it hasn't worn that well, but I get why people love it, and I get why I loved it at the time. But the reality is is that not not only was Lovecraft himself, not only did he himself hold really, really horribly racist views, but those, those views pervade his work. And so naturally, people who are either directly affected by those views, like black writers who have to accept an award or who have given an, a world fantasy award, which isn't a Lovecraft award. It's not the Lovecraft award. No. It's not I, the I award think... dedicated to his work. And this is a point that I think a lot of people is missing. This is not an award that is celebrating his work. So it's not a Lovecraft award. I just never understood why he was the face of the award because when I think of him, I think of horror, not fantasy. So when I first came into the fandom... And I would I saw a statue of this award. I'm like, that is number one, the ugliest piece of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> it really is. And then it- number two, how what fantasy did he write? He wrote horror. I mean, I know it was like fantastical in some ways, but it was mostly horror fiction, right? Well, well, first of all, the World Fantasy Award has always is first. Of, I, well, first of all, I don't know why Lovecraft was chosen his visage to be done by Gan Wilson in that way. Um, I don't know that. But I do know that the World Fantasy Award has always had this push-pull thing between whether it's awarded to fantasy, dark fantasy, or horror. And there's often this kind of internal fight that some people want to give it to horror and with a fantastical aspect. And some people want to give it to fantasy. So you get the, you know, the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell will win one year and then the next year some, you know... I don't know the horror field well, so I can't give a title. But something that's clearly outright horror, which is fine, will win. So him being used in that sense, and I mean this academically, isn't quite so unusual, although why why they would choose him as opposed to, I don't know, Tolkien, who could be argued to have a greater influence on modern fantasy. Although the real question for me is why use one individual at all? 
Yes, that is a good point. But from, from seeing from what people have been saying for the past few days, people are really attached to him as a master in the field. And a lot of the arguments that have been made is that he's so influential within SFF and it's all branches of it, not only horror or fantasy, it's science fiction, everything else. So that's the, I think that's the argument that it's being made right now. But, and of course people are losing their shit because they are seeing this whole thing as a meeting of the man and the award. If you remove his face from the award, you are trying to erase his contribution. This is a point that I keep seeing over and over and over again being made. And no, that's nothing of the sort is happening. You can, and people are saying, why are we supposed to stop reading him? And it's like, no, you can still read and love your racist piece of shit author. Uh, Nobody is stopping you. You know, it's it's true because what 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 strikes me about that is first of all, does that mean that all the people whose busts weren't on that award, we have to stop reading them because they were never honored as the World Fantasy Award? It doesn't even make sense. No, because no one sense. is saying that you have to stop reading Lovecraft. And the other thing is that the the people who are most angry about it, as far as I can tell. I get that they themselves were really influenced by Lovecraft and that's fine, but it's just, it's like they assume that the rest, everyone else was too, or that we all ought to have been. It's that same thing. as like, if they can't define the terms, I mean, they're basically saying, if, if you guys won't play with my toys, the way I tell you to, then I'm taking them and going home. I see this over and over again. If, if you people get your way, which is how they see it, my way, your way, you know, they don't, it's like the larger systemic issues are, are, are not even present in their heads. Cause why should they be? Um, they've always had it their way before. Um, and you know, then, and so I think a lot of it is just anger that it's someone who they never would have had to listen to before is, has, it's is being, being listened to. It's being heard. Yes. And I yeah. think and there is a, there is an element of lack of logic trying to find logic with these people is really hard to begin with but like part of their arguments is like who are these people who are saying those things nobody will have heard of them in the future and it's like okay so we're talking about a couple of people who actually won these awards that you think is so prestigious and important if you think this award is so prestigious and important, why do you think that people have that have been given that award will be forgotten? I don't understand your your logic here, people. There is none there to be had. Well, they're again they're defining things. I agree with you. They're, they're defining things by their own thing. This is I don't care about those people's work, so no one else will in the future. It's like you're literally being unable to see outside their own narrow view of of the world, which has heretofore been kind of the one that's been up on top and, and and still is to a great extent but you know the fact that it can even be changed just this tiny amount is it must be very disturbing but you know it's time you know it's time it's long past time they have they're watching what happens when they not even when some people gain like a privilege i.e in this case being able to accept an award without having to go, oh, how am I gonna? What am I gonna do with this? Hide it in a closet? You know, like they're like they're not even losing anything 
because he's still there. He's still a really important figure in the, I guess, depending on what you're coming from. It really depends on what area, like what direction you're coming from when it comes to genre at this point. It's too big to only have one entry path. Academics and readers, I'm real sorry. H.P. Lovecraft, I had never heard of him. I think until like the late whatever. I mean, I guess he influenced culture, but I was like, who the hell is this? Anyway, so I'm just saying this whole, he's acting like, we're seeing what happens when white people lose, and I'm putting lose in quotes here, a marker of privilege. Like, we're seeing what happens when a ra- somebody who's really re- respected or whatever is taken off because they had problematic views, and the people who su- like support that author, that author, that person, are having to face the fact that somebody they admire was problematic, and therefore also face the fact they have some internalized racist stuff going on, and they're not handling it well. No, people really, yeah, pe- that that's pe- that, that's very upsetting to people because we like to think most people, most of us like to think of ourselves as good people, and so this idea that someone might identify something about us that isn't good that is is disturbing if you haven't had to think about that but you know i want to come back to something what you said about one entry point and again this goes back to the canon if you got to define the canon and then suddenly people are saying no maybe you don't get to define the canon anymore or maybe we reject your canon again it's like it is that thing where you're losing the ability and and people do see that rather than saying well let's add the number of people who are talking about you know the works that we should be you know let's let's be more inclusive Instead of seeing it in a positive way, some people see it in a negative way. And that's, that's another thing that's going that's, on. That's what makes me really grosses me out. I was I was going on and on about it on Twitter today. People are just the, the people that are complaining about this change, they are privileging a dead person over writers who are writing right now and yeah. who are telling us all that they are hurt. And you are privileging the voice of a dead person, of someone who is gone. Yes, he might be, he might have been influential, but you know, he's not here right now, living this life right now with us all. And I find that lack of kindness, lack of empathy that I find really gross within our fandom. Those people that the puppies and all of these people, they lack that empathy i think because they only think of themselves yeah the the argument that well if they don't like that or they're offended by it they can just give it back i mean how insulting is that how insulting is that and and yes how lacking in any sense that it's important to us as human beings to look at another one and say oh this is a painful thing to you maybe we should stop doing it yes and it's, but no it's, and it's like we'll just keep doing it you're the one who has a problem, but that's the whole way that systemic the systemic stuff is perpetuated. It yeah. makes the problem you're the person who's the the person who's in pain or the person who's the victim or you know you did you're the one who's doing the, I don't it just makes me so angry. It makes me angry as well. And yesterday I was having a conversation which I thought was doing really well. I thought it was an actual in good faith faith conversation on Twitter with this person. I think it was a woman. And we were talking about it. I was talking about the war, celebrating the change. And and she was like, are we going to erase this person from from history? And I was like, no, this is not what this is about. And we, we kept 
having a conversation. And then she just turned to me and she says, you are an irrational C-U-N-T. <gasps> I'm like, what? what just happened? And this is just... I call that projection. This is one example Sorry. of... <laughs> <laughs> This is just one example that happened to me. Now, can we imagine? Because we have seen that Nadia Okorafor and Sofia Samatar are being attacked via emails, tweets. They are being attacked by people because they see them as the face of this whole thing. Even though it was actually Daniel José Older who started the campaign, the actual campaign. So there is also an element of rank sexism here because they are attacking the two women yep. who voiced their opinions quite a long time ago and not the men who started the petition. And, and isn't that always the case? Hasn't he written extensively about it too? I know we published something about Lovecraft in Speculative Fiction 2014 that he wrote and he's written about it He's yes, written, he's written about Lovecraft in the context of genre and the context of like yes. culture several times. He's been very outspoken, so I just find it really awful that, of course, the people are going after uh, Nydia Corfor and Sophia Samatar. And also, N.K. Jemison wrote a really good post about oh, yes. this change too, where she summed up what was happening and why people were relieved that it had been changed. And I mean, her post is spot on. I really, I really agree with it. Yep. We actually were having another conversation about, it was not related to this, but we were talking about the romance community and how often the romance community is more forward-thinking than, than the science fiction and fantasy community when it comes to technology, like with like ebooks and stuff. And we discussed yeah. it on the podcast before, where the romance community was like early adopters of digital reading. Oh, yeah. And, they were the first ones, yeah. Yeah, and they're super good at jumping into new tech, new new things new ways of marketing and the more i see the romance community operate and i know there's there they do some they have problematic stuff like this something just happened recently in the romance community that was not great but like when i put romance community and the science fiction community by beside each other what i see is this really weird like <laughs> there's some cognitive dis dissonance right in it science fiction fandom looks like a grumpy old man like a grumpy old white man that I used to like have to deal with, where change any sort of change was a, was negative. Any sort of change that cost white people power was negative. Any sort of change that created a more inclusive space was negative. When I watch like the Romance community or in several other communities, when change happens and people embrace it, especially if they're younger communities, people just like they just embrace it and they're like, "Wow, change something new. Let's explore this." But science fiction fandom is not like that at all. If a change happens, racist assholes rise up out of the swamp of like I don't even know where they come from. Because... I know where they come from. I've been around these people my whole career. Like where? Like I just don't understand. It's so strange to me that our fandom is being. And we're really being dragged down by it, too. Like, this it's, is why we can't attract younger people, because the younger people... I've actually seen people, younger people, go, well, I would take part over there, but you guys have some crazy white dudes who are unappealing and make me want to throw up. It's not a good thing. We're not putting out a good face. Like, we're going to end up in mainstream press for this. And what's, what's the narrative going to be? Science fiction fandoms flip it out, because they took away H.P. Lovecraft's 
Ugly well, except statue. for the ones who will agree with them. Yeah. I just don't understand why this happened. I usually think of it like as a failure on my part when I can't see their perspective. Like, I was like, I'm just not understanding their perspective. There's something here I'm not getting. But in this case, I'm just like, I don't get it. We're not banning his work. Why is taking away the statue to make it something more inclusive hurting his legacy? Because his work isn't going anywhere. You can still study him. People are criticizing it. And and you're, it's like this. Well, first of all, one of the weirdest things to me about the science fiction community, a science fiction fantasy community, is that science fiction is supposed to be this bold, progressive view of the future, and we're the futurists, and we're looking how into change, and yet in its own way, it has some incredibly regressive aspects, and this is a classic example of it. And I think there's that sense that, well, we should be celebrating him and say, you know what, it's that that quote that I did, I think last time I was on, you know, when men and women are reviewed, all too often we'll see that thing where it's like, this book, the man's the man's review goes like this. This book is so brilliant. He's like a genius. Of course, the characters were flat and world building was really thin. But his ideas were so fantastic, and it was such a whatever, right? And the woman is like, well, you know, I really enjoyed this book, and you know, the the world building was great, and the ideas were fantastic. But of course, there were all these flaws, flaw, 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 flaw. So whatever, done, right? And so we're supposed to do that with Lovecraft too, right? Mm-hmm. We're supposed to say, oh my God, he this whole mythos and the creepiness of it and whatever. And oh yeah, so he was like unbelievably racist. You just have to read Rats in the Walls with a horrifying story in, in those, you know, and misogynistic and anti-Semitic. And the, but, but, but that doesn't really matter because his work, except it, you know, again, it pervades his work. And, and again, why should we be putting that as the face on an award that's called the World Fantasy Award and isn't even specifically geared to horror we shouldn't and it's silly they they want it's like they want the work to be seen only the good parts you can't like select like that that's not not how it works but they always could before well not anymore i know it's a good thing it's a good thing people upset yeah because they always could before they could they could say to people well no one's going to know about you daniel older you know who i got to give full props to daniel Furk. Well, to maybe and Sophia for for all the things they said, but and to Daniel for you know doing what he did for spearheading it. But when they say something like that, they're trying to shut him up, and it doesn't work anymore. It used to work. The internet has changed everything, which is good. Yes, exactly. Damn that internet. I have another thing about one of the arguments I'm hearing over and over again about this Lovecraft thing, right? It's the he was a person of his time. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah, somebody that. did I mean, that to me I, as well. That's the worst. Yes. Well, okay. So, so yes, he was. And, and we all are people of our time. But that implies that everyone thought like him at his time in exactly the same way, in exactly that virulent, nasty sense, and would be happy to advertise it in their fiction the way he did, right? And it's not true. That's There's not a true. Range. People have a range. You can, if you, I'm reading a biography of Alexander von Humboldt, the uh, famous, uh, in his time, he was like as big as Michael Jordan, right? Um, he was a naturalist and a, a scientist in the, uh, you know, at that borderline between the 18th and the 19th century. Um, and he was a man who, after traveling for four years in Latin America in his late 20s, I guess, he was, he wrote about, first of all, he became vehemently anti-slavery. 
He was appalled by slavery. Second, that when people would talk about how, oh, those people, he would argue with them. And he said, that's not true. You know, they're people just like us. People have the same range of abilities wherever I find them. And third, he wrote, this is, we're talking about 1800, 1805. He wrote about how colonialism caused terrible effects on people's cultures, but also on, on the environment and how it was an exploitative system. That, that dug up resources to pass on to one small group of people and impoverished the people it left behind, 1,800. So don't tell me that Lovecraft is a man of his time and that somehow that gives him a pass. People are not all like that. No, and, and, and even if they were, th does that give them a pass? Are they now superheroes because they are from the past? No! I, I think no, we have sir. to understand the past as a thing where people have had different attitudes, and and we have to understand that. I think it's important to say it's important to understand history and the past and how ideas have changed, and it's important to acknowledge that those things exist and still exist. It's complicated, you know. Yes. It's not just an either or thing, it's the which thing, is what they try to make it out to be. It's the thing with history, right, where people think oh in the past everybody was conservative yes. and yeah. they were this one thing instead of looking at history as a thing that is complicated and changed a lot and you see this a lot with i saw this a lot when the diversify agent carter stuff was going around and people were like hey uh, hey marvel you know there were people of color in the 1940s right we were there like and there's there's like that great quote from psych where Gus is like, what, black people didn't, you didn't think black people existed? And yeah. it's this weird idea that, this weird idea in the past, people just were not liberal or people were didn't have complicated ideas. They were just all the same and everything was flattened out. This concept really confuses me because it's not how the world works. Right now, where we're living is so complicated. So many people have so many different ideas. Politics is complicated. Culture is complicated. And what makes why it... would you think that the past is not the same? But people do. People flatten yeah. it out. And I don't understand yeah. how they how they can... I just don't understand the thought process. And that's because the same they thing. Believe, because, first of all, history isn't taught well. Well, that's... Awesome. In the U.S. culture. I'm not going to talk about yes. culture. In history US is culture. not taught well in U.S. culture. And there's almost this sense that we need to put that aside. It doesn't matter. Only the now matters. Which is why you get the thing where, well, would those people just, would those older artists just, you know, die and get off the stage so we new people can come on? Which is problematic on two levels. One, there is sometimes a systemic issue. This is kind of a tangent. Um, there is some, there is often a systemic issue where, where you have older power structures that won't move aside. So that's a real thing. And that has to be dealt with. If only the new matters, then we don't have the context of history and the context of change over time. And those things can matter as well. You know, getting multiple perspectives matters as well. The perspective of people looking back at life and the perspective of people looking at the future as it opens before them. And it's like to have a really full artistic tradition, you need all of that. One of the things for me about, about Lovecraft and this whole issue of should we Are, are we going to throw him out? Well, of course he's not going to get thrown out if the people can still read him. But is it okay to like him? Well, you know what? I think for people who liked the stuff that he did well, I don't see anything wrong with that. We can all love problematic things. 
if we recognize that they're problematic. Yes, and I think it's also okay for people to come out and say, do you know what, I really do not care about reading him. Yes. I do, I do not want to read him. I will never read him. Absolutely. People, people shouldn't have to read you know, what I tell them to read or what some other person tells them to read. And if they, frankly, anyone, anyone who doesn't want to read Lovecraft, they shouldn't because yes. what are they going to, I mean, Lovecraft is not an influence on me as a writer. I didn't read any of his stories until I was in my 20s. I hadn't heard of him before. So he's not an influence on me. He didn't make me the writer I am. I could have my whole career never having read him, and it would be basically the same. So, you know, he's, it, it's not that, and it's not that people shouldn't, shouldn't read him if they want to. They should, but they need to understand, just like as you both are saying, that there are reasons people don't read that stuff because it's like that Anne Leckie punched in the face thing. Exactly. We don't have to endure stuff that cause us pain. You, you're, you, whoever you are, the generic you, are not allowed to enforce that on us. No. Not anymore. It's the, definitely the thing where the gatekeepers are feeling uh, a little pressure. They're like, wow, shit, things are getting away from me. Where's yep. my, where, like, can I shut this gate? Why is it so hard? It's not responding. Help. And they, they, they freak out. I'm never going to read Lovecraft. I might read Lovecraft influenced stuff because I'm sure a lot. There will be some, yeah. There is always going to be somebody who's influenced by him and then writes something. Like, I feel like, I feel like Rat Queens maybe might be influenced by Lovecraft or at least that type of aesthetic. So I, obviously I can love stuff that's influenced, like where people have read him and taken stuff away and then, then they go on and they write their own stories and I like those stories. So obviously that's a possibility. So it's not like he's being banished from culture and this is where I don't... <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Banished from culture. That's the, that's the erased from, that... I know. Erased from history. Are you shunning him? And it's like... Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, am I, am I shunning H.P. Lovecraft? Yes. I find him... Well, a, I, find, I think he, he was actively true. racist. I don't want to read his work. I don't want to be upset by his work. So I'm just not going to read it. But I'm not saying anybody else has to subscribe to that. And it's this whole thing where people want to exert control over the, a community in a way that actively harms writers writing today who are people just blows my mind. Well, but you see, they think that we are doing that, that we are enforcing our views on them. That's what they think this is. That's what they think that the social justice warriors are doing, the, the social justice gone mental or, you know, political corrupt correctness taken to an extra level this is what is happening in their heads we are being the enforcers right now but the, here's the thing even if we take him off the bus like we have and the award it award itself becomes something which i don't think it should be a person period that's my perspective i agree i think it should be a, an object yeah but that doesn't mean the award itself might change they'll probably still continue for several years decades awarding the same type of literature that doesn't have to change the, if the judges want to come in and be like the history of this award is this 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 hp lovecraft was possibly part of the influences of the war they you know they can judge in that way isn't this a, isn't this a juried award well, it is a juried award I've, I've served on the jury so what's stopping what's stopping the jury from even if the bust of H.P. Lovecraft is gone, still considering that history of that award as they decide on what to give the award to. Nothing. Nothing at all. 
Nothing. And then nothing stops anybody from reading Lovecraft, from publishing new editions of Lovecraft, from publishing collections by people set in the in the mythos from playing role-playing games i played a, a, sh- a campaign once set in whatever arkham whatever the arkham horror you know it was fun and one of the reasons it was fun is because it was a role-playing game run by someone else and completely removed from the stuff that's embedded in the stories there weren't racist aspects in in the actual game beyond you know beyond whatever we we are may may or may not have brought ourselves. I mean, but you see what I mean? I mean, it, it, it was just all this stuff, like you guys say, all this stuff still exists. All yeah. we're doing is changing the award that's being given out to something that frankly better represents an award that doesn't just go to horror. Yeah. This is not censorship. Long silence to let that sink in. <laughs> well, people don't, no, they don't know what the definition of censorship is. They mean it's when some... It seems like there's a lot of people who think censorship is when someone who they didn't have to listen to before disagrees with them and is heard by other people, well, yes. as far as I can tell. Yes. That seems to be the new definition of some of what censorship is. I just is. want to remind Venom that they can still write H.P. Lovecraft fan fiction. They can still write H.P. Lovecraft RPF. That's still an option. AO3 is out there. We, I'm sure it will. there's a fandom for H.P. Lovecraft RPF if you really want to write him write about him and have and, uh, and, uh, and be and finished you can, and you can also still print his face and put it on the yaw and jerk off to that as well if you want to <laughs> and look how much time look how much time we're spending talking about their feelings so much time I know I mean, it's because their feelings make no sense then about Nadia and Sophia who, who I'm thrilled to who won with fantastic novels who have this thing that they ha- I mean well, I know how we can solve this. It's Everybody. like Wagner, right? Richard Wagner, uh-huh. who, who who was virulently, virulently, horribly anti-Semitic to the degree that some Jewish conductor simply would refuse to ever do his work. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Another thing I don't understand. And other people won't go listen to him. It's mostly that I don't understand um, people who are anti-Semitic. I don't understand. I don't. It's the same way I don't. I, I like I understand racism on a certain level, and understand how it affects society and how it, it affects systems. But when I get when you start talking about um, anti-Semitism, I don't, I can't. Vi- not visualizing is the wrong word, right? But I just can't get to the place where I understand how you hate somebody based on this this thing because it feels like there's nothing with racism. You can see it because it's visible, sort of. It's the same thing with queerness and how I've never really been able to grok how in the world except when people like people thinking about sex and getting upset so it's just the fact that it's not visible to me so I mean I just really have a hard time I just really have a hard time understanding I guess maybe I think it's because I over I over empathize so the fact that these people people who are anti-semitic people who are racist people who are heterosexuals or homophobic I can't get to their perspective to see where how to have a discussion with them about this because I can't get, I can't get there. I can't understand how you hate a category of people based on a particular thing. I'm not explaining it well. No, no. It's, it's, it's interesting too. For instance, homophobia. Why does it even matter what people do in the privacy of their own homes with other consenting adults? Well, I matter. 
Well, but Anna but has an there's opinion. a religious there's, I, there's a religious aspect to it. Um, uh, yeah, of, that's the religious for me. Is the, I think it's the, the for me the only explanation that kind of makes sense without making it, without making sense whatsoever, but making sense from a historical perspective. It would be the religious foundation of this whole thing, right? Because it's either in the Bible, or for example, for the anti-Semitic sentiment would be what happened at the time of Jesus Christ. And then for the, the homophobia as, as well, it's the kind of like, because you can't be a family if you're not a woman and a man and you can't have children. So it's, it's, all, it's all the religious background, I would wager. That's how I try to understand it. From, yeah, I, I think, I think from, those, from a, those from two a, yeah, from a detached perspective, not, not try to understand by sympathizing with their views. No, I don't sympathize with their views, but I, I try to look at it from a historical perspective. And this is the only explanation that I can find because like you, it's like, why? And I think well, it's really unfortunate, right, that we're having to deal with this. And meanwhile, two, well, even more than two, several women of color are being harassed. Uh, it's just really, it's just really, it's really upsetting. People go buy their books. Feel free to go. If you have book money, feel free to go buy a book by, by Sophia Samata or Nnedi Okorafor or N.K. Jemisin or Daniel Jose Older. Like, I just don't, how do you make it better? Because they're dealing with this harassment over this thing. And all you can do is say, this is not cool. Stop it. But it all, it, like, that feels so ineffective for what they're having to deal with. Because the community is, not the whole community, but part of the community is treating them like, not like they're treating them like they're not human. And it's... They, are treat, they are treating him like Lovecraft would. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> right. And I just... Yeah. So, like when, when you're when you're treat when you're treating some people like Lovecraft would have treated some people, maybe you want to back up and be like, Whoa. just like rethink your priorities, reexamine your position, rethink, rethink your life choices, please. But you know, I hopefully that this is a done deal, though. I mean, I, I'm thinking that they are not going to go back on it because once they, they can't, right? They can't. Well, they can't. It's, it's a it's a it's a very status quo organization so for them to announce it means they've really thought about it and, and it's a big move i think for them so i would be very surprised if they went back on it if, if they were to say you know fuck you you guys we're going to keep lovecraft i think maybe they're I, I would you know these are smart guys and they're smart enough to see that people are going to start saying well what does the world fantasy award mean to us anyway and they don't want to lose prestige either. And and maybe they also, I like to think it's possible, that they also maybe have looked at it and said, gosh, you know what? You're right. This is a yeah. bad choice to represent this award. For a, a single person for one thing and then and then someone with these terrible views. It's worth considering that they might have thought about future generations because this is something that is happening right now. These are young writers you know, starting to write, start to create new things. And I think that the loudest voices are coming from those new people and the loudest voices on the other side are from, I guess, the older generation that is just going to fade away. So what are they going to be left with if they don't hear the, the, those new voices? Right, I if they know. can't change, the, the institutions that don't change they just are stuck doomed and to die. die. They yeah. will die. There's no way around that. It, 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 you know, as a 
person of Jewish faith, it's one of the really interesting things is to look at how Judaism survived as a religion because it had to change or because yeah. it did change when, when the whole focus of its religious worship was destroyed, when the temple was destroyed, it changed into a synagogue-based religion. That's why it's still here. If it had said, oh, well, the temple's gone, and then everyone, then, then it, would be, it would be one of those religions we study about in history and don't really quite know how it worked, right? But yeah. it, didn't, it changed, and th- that's a kind of an odd example to use in this case. But, but yeah, so I'm hoping that what this means is, is that people are seeing that the science fiction fantasy field, you know, when we look at conventions, who, where are people going? They're going to comic cons. They're going to, they're going to media cons that include a writing track. They're going to Gen Con. They're not, the the numbers are so disparate. You know, when you look at how many people you look at 60, 80, hundred thousand people going to comic cons and you look at, you know, there were 5,000 people at Worldcon, which was, which was good compared to, just, you know. Yeah, which is like a record-breaking or something, yeah. And they well, were selling... Yeah, the Worldcon in London was 10,000. That was record-breaking. Yeah, they were selling tickets for World Fantasy at the door. That's not a good sign either. Does that happen often? It's usually, uh, well, from what I heard, I think Natalie was talking about it. She's saying that, uh, Natalie Lurs, she was saying that usually it's sold out. But mm-hmm. this time they were selling tickets at the door. So it means that there were fewer people going. So I wonder if all of these discussions are just, you know. Well, I mean, also their convention code of conduct was the terrible. Yeah. Did you see the whole thing about uh, disability as well? Oh, yeah. Mar- Marie Ness's post. Yeah. Where she talked about the ramps. And I was like, holy shit. And the fact that I didn't <laughs> fix it immediately. Holy shit. How do you not think about this in this day and age? I do not understand. I don't. I, I don't know how, like a, a convention committee who's planning a convention. How do you really like what? You don't need to be in the convention business if you can't think about people who have like range of motion, mental health. Like if you can't think, like think about Nine Worlds, right? Where you said yeah. you went to Nine Worlds, and you told me about all these great things they did for people. Yeah. But I bet the people who run Nine Worlds are much younger and more... Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. So, dear conventions who whose, pay, like, whose organizers are all, you know, 50 plus, get some younger people to help you. Because this, this is like, the, the disability thing was a super easy fix. But the thing is, is I don't think it's just an age no, thing. No, it's definitely because, not. Because, frankly, a lot of people older... It's it's often the older people who are going to need the the extra disability access. And what's puzzling to me is that it's legally you are legally obligated in this country because of the American Disabilities Act, which was passed in the seventies, I think, to provide access. And especially in a grain convention, when you're going to have more people who have access issues, so that's just. Uh, it was just a really weird thing to to, That's to read just about. A, I don't need it. You know what? To me, it's like an I don't need it, so I don't need to think, think about it issue. Yeah. So once the organizers start needing it, then they'll start thinking about it. That's I'm it. guessing about that. I don't know. I think that even more than an age thing, that's a I never had to think about anyone else's needs before thing. I never had to project empathy. I never had to consider other people's views. Well, which brings us back to this to this whole to to the beginning of this conversation because that's exactly that's exactly what what's it is. happening. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, it's awful. Like I really want to be a part of this fandom 
but then in a lot of ways, I get stuff like this happens, and I'm just like, oh, I'm embarrassed. It's it's and it's discouraging as well. And I mean, it's I know that what I know a lot of like the the harassment is also a lot of just l- loud people in the like dying throes of a culture that is no longer relevant. I know a lot of I know a lot of it is that. But, I mean, there's some parts that aren't that we're going to carry with us. But it's just really hard to feel proud of a community that does this. And it feels like this fandom just continues to go. It started, like, I didn't start in 2009, but, you know, in 2009, Race Valley exploded. And it just feels like since then we've just been going through these really awful, discouraging things where it's like we just keep peeling back more, like... It's like pulling off a band-aid over and over and it stings and it's just like you you peel one off and they're like, shit there's another band-aid and this time it's racism and you just oh shit another band-aid and this time it's <laughs> it's sex you know it just it just and you just keep pulling band-aids off and it just keeps hurting and that's just what it feels like and it never ends but remember one thing 20 years ago the the degree to which these conversations are going on what didn't happen they were just shut down it's not that people weren't talking about these things they were and people, because people were talking about the sexism and the racism, and the, I think Pat, Pat Cadigan just mentioned on Facebook recently that when she did the the copy edits for her novel Sinners, which came out in '91, I think um, the copy editor flagged a thing where a male character refers to his husband and said, oh, you must mean wife. And she wrote thing, this is the future. Marriage, I don't know, gay marriage will be legal, whatever phrase she would have used in 1991 to get, you know, get over it, leave it as is, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that people weren't thinking about these things because they were, but the culture was such that the the degree to which this conversation has expanded and the amount, the the level to which it has risen, that would have been shut down before. I I don't want to put down all the people who have like built the lower rungs in the ladder or the lower stair steps that have, because those have all been important. I feel like what's happened is people finally have their heads above water and it's just barely their heads above water, right? And the water still laps up over and gets in the, the, the mouth and the nose. And so you're still choking and drowning sometimes. But before, it was like it was all underwater. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes, it does. It's, I, and I think part of it is because it's because of the internet. Because the internet yeah. and social media especially allows for people to find each other. And then you find others, the voices are amplified, it's easier you hold each other above water and... i completely agree that social media has changed the power gradient you don't have that chokehold anymore that no. people used to have you can't stop the people from um oh since you guys just watched star wars that little quote that was thing you can squeeze the in in your Fist is from the first movie. All you want, but stuff will still slip out between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Padme. Yeah, before before they were able to like you know choke it down so that only one or two little tiny voices could get out. But now they just keep they're spilling all over and being noisy and demanding things. And I can see that in the future, in a few years, the voices will be even louder because now, even though it seems like the voices are deafening and then we are shouting a lot. I still, I know that there are people that are too scared still and that they are, don't have enough spoons or they are still silent. 
And I can only imagine that within a few years, the more that we go on, the more that we talk, the more that we yell, the more we open the field for other yep. people to do the same. You know? I still hesitate. I, mean, I was saying this before the recording started, but I still hesitate sometimes to say things. And, you know, and then I think, why? Why do I? And a lot of it is conditioning, just years and years of conditioning to know that I'm going to get pushed back, to know that I'm going to get slapped down, to know that some dude standing on his authoritative pedestal is going to say, you know, well, your work isn't important. Who are you to talk, right? Because that's what they use. That's what they famous, that little post um, that Professor Joshi, Joshi um, said about Daniel Older. Well, how does he know? None of us know any of that, but it's just, it's merely, purely used as a way to get someone to shut up. You are, you, you know, I get to judge you and you're worthless, so be quiet. And I still struggle to get over that. And a lot of it is social media saying, you know, let's, let's all talk together. It is, it is that reaching out and touching hands and saying, hey, we're here, we're here. Are you here too? Some people recognize, say that that then becomes a mob, but what it, and, and there are times when it can become that in whatever degree, but what it really is, is people saying, we're here, we're here together. We yeah. can, we can help each other. We can raise each other up. We had some feelings. We had a I'm lot of feelings. feelings. <laughs> That's well, almost... I changed the subject to yeah. something completely different. I was, I was on the mainland. At first I went to the Sirens Conference, which is this fantastic, fantastic conference. Uh, I've always wanted to go one day. It's small. We had 101 people this year, and it's focused on women in fantasy literature. So people are there to talk about books and they're talk about women and talk about and really have some fascinating conversations. Um, I, I love it. Um, and then I went and um, hiked in the Rockies with Courtney Schaefer. We were supposed to climb a 14er, but I had a really bad cold. I got a really bad cold at the convention. So we did a four-mile hike at 10,000 feet instead. It was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. Um, and then I went and visited family. But while I was at my daughter's apartment, she made me play Hatoful Boyfriend. Oh, I have that. It, I've played a little bit of it. It's super fun plus it's weird. It's hysterical. Yeah. It, I I loved it. We should convince Anna to play it. What is that? Um, yeah, you should try to explain it. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I think it's inexplicable. It's it's basically a choose your own adventure of, oh, about a girl okay. who goes to a school, and there seem to only be boys, cute boys, at this school, and and then she has to like decide which one she likes as a potential boyfriend. Um, I have to say that I fell hopelessly immediately in terrible, terrible crush love with Sakuya right away. He's the biggest jerk. Um, <laughs> but the twist is that they're all birds. And it doesn't make what? any sense. <laughs> it literally makes no sense. I mean, she isn't. And, and I kind of what's great about it is that you just have to disentangle your logic meter, right? You have to, like, disconnect it for a minute. <laughs> Like, but is that is it like a fairy tale where when, once she chooses someone, they become a real boy? No, no, they're just pigeons. That's just how it is. Yeah, they are pigeons. Yes. Yeah, the, you you see them originally with this kind of a human face on them too, but then they're just. It's just really weird. Just just <laughs> just just accept it. But it's great because it's a choose your own adventure. And so it's like, well, are we going to go to music class or math class or whatever to gain whatever? And then you have interactions with people and you make decisions about, you know, and it's 
pretty, they give you a limit. It's like multiple choice. You only get like four choices of what you do with each, you know, and then uh-huh. you go down. So it is exactly like a choose your own adventure only. It's about this girl going to school filled with hot boys who are really pigeons. So just. <laughs> What's the name? Hatoful, H-A-T-O-F-U-L, boyfriend. And I guess Hato means pigeon in Japanese. Oh, okay. The BS, Anna, this game is on Steam. It's on Steam. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can, but basically, it's a computer. You can download it on your computer and play it. Okay. So All it's right. not like a console game. It's not like the, 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 the continuing fact that you have no consoles pains me. But uh, <laughs> Steam is available for I own this game and I've played it a little bit and then I got busy, but it was the parts I was playing was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's great. It, it's one of the things that's great about it is it that really takes no skill. You just press yeah. buttons and make choices. <laughs> yeah. And can you can you cheat on those choices? Because when you're reading a choose your own adventure book, you can always cheat, right? I used to. I used to choose one thing and then go like, oh shit, no, I'm gonna go back and choose something else. Well, can you can replay that? it. Too okay. and and actually, I think you can also as you're going, you can change. Like if you've been going down the road with flirting with this one boy too much, you can suddenly go and start paying attention to somebody else too, and then you can play it again. How interesting! But I mean, it's, what it basically is is I'm the girl, and I have these like four or five hot boys, and and right or actually, I don't. She is a girl, but since you never see her, oh, she could be a pigeon then. She could be well, or whatever, right? Or whatever. No. She could be a honey badger. She could so. be a tiger. And all, and what she wants is really to eat the pigeons. Of course, Anna takes it down the dark plat, the path. Yeah. Here we yeah. went. Yeah. Here we are. We've arrived. It just went full on horror show. I don't know. I don't know why I say these things. Like, I'm really just a soft butterfly. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> sure. You say I that. Was- I'm a softie. I'm not really a villain. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charles asked you, like, a zillion questions. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh. He did. Like, I love a- you, Charles, if you're listening. There's a lot of questions here. Charles, I'm going to choose three of them. How many books is she releasing next year? How many books are you releasing next year? How many? Like, are you... Is it another another year? Next year? Yeah. One. Like, one. Just one? You've just dropped back down. You've like, I can't do this again. <laughs> I don't know. If I was a smarter person, which I'm not, I don't know, maybe Blackwell should have come out in February next year. Then I could have had two books two years in a row instead of three books one year and one book the next year. But it's just I had no book out in 2014, so it was kind of this. But then I wouldn't have been able to read it. Well, I know. So then, yeah. So I don't know. That would be bad. I don't like that reality. I reject it. (laughs) I like this reality. We're going to stay here. I, I know that I have a book coming out next year because it's done and in production. Yeah. And that's the Court of Five sequel, which is called Poisoned Blade. I'm really excited. I like this. I love the ending again. Oh, the ending of Court of Five was the best. Yeah, I hope you'll like book two also. I enjoyed writing it, but I particularly enjoyed revising it. What preparation do you do for out? Outrigger canoe paddling? I don't even know what that is, outrigger canoe paddling. Is this okay, a real so thing? Outrigger- it's really a thing. Outrigger canoes are the were developed in the Pacific. When islands are in the ocean, there's a lot of wave action around the islands. So, you know, like a, a regular canoe like that, that you would see in the Americas, 
is just it's a canoe. It's a it's a a long slender vessel that goes in the waters um, for a speed and whatever I don't know. But in but if you did that like in the waters around an island that's in the open ocean, you would tip over constantly. And when you add an out an outrigger is basically an a little float. I'm sure it used to be made of like light wood, but and then it's attached by two little like bits of wood to the main thing. And what that does is it gives you this balance thing. So a little bit of extra weight off to the side. And if you Google outrigger canoe, you can see it. And in fact, it's how Hawaiians got to Hawaii because the Polynesians were long distance sea navigators. You know, I could go on about this for like 10 hours because I love it so much. And by the way, the Hokulea, which is a, uh, double-hulled outrigger canoe, a voyaging canoe of the kind that the Hawaiians would have used to sail to reach Hawaii, and that has been used historically to move among the Pacific Islands over long distances. It is in the it is currently on a round-the-world voyage called the Malama Honua, which means um, about you know bringing attention to the earth. Um, and it's in South Africa right now. And you can wow. follow it online if you go to the Pacific Voyaging Society. It's actually fascinating. But anyway, there's the big canoes like that. And then there's the smaller canoes. And people, besides paddling them because they were used as part of daily life, then there's also this whole racing thing. And there's um, sprint racing and um, long distance racing. And I do both of those. And uh, how you prepare for it is you paddle. You learn how to paddle, and then you paddle some more, and then you can do cross-training to get fit enough so that you don't, like, die of exhaustion (laughs) in the middle. This sounds like a lot of work, and I'm tired. Oh, man, I love it. I love the ocean. For one thing, I love the water. One day I'm going to come there, and you're going to show me what the hell this is. I will. I'll put you in the canoe, and you'll paddle for 20 minutes, and the first time you do it, the next day, you're like, I didn't know I had those muscles. I'm dead. I'm coming to you from beyond the grave. I'm dead. Yeah, people people either get into it as kids or if they start it as adults, they have to get through those first couple. They have to like not mind being in that much pain after their first couple paddles because it is really. It's a lot of. If you're dealing with waves, I could see it being really because I've done like canoeing. I'm just really bad at it, like really bad. Like I didn't need I didn't even need waves to tip me over. I was just like, fuck, I'm upside down. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, so I can't imagine how much work paddling would be with when you're dealing with like ocean water and waves. Well, I mean, and it's not the conditions change. Yeah, you know, I've been out on really flat water, and I've been out on pretty pretty challenging conditions, and um, and everything in between. The waves are actually it's really wind is your biggest thing because that creates waves, of course. And um, in really high winds, you just don't go out. But so you might how- stay in. You might paddle like on an interior, like the Kahi Lagoon or something, which is where my canoe club practices but and how how often do you do that is that an everyday Um, thing i'm not in we're not in the season right now and i've been gone but during this season um would probably i'd probably be practicing three times a week and then having one race day oh wow and then my cross training whatever cross training i was doing on the other days it's amazing i love it now i want to read a book about you said you said that this is these are the canoes that polynesians used to reach hawaii yeah. You know, I should do a post and give a few recommendations of books that just talk about the basic history of it. I just finished reading a book called Hawaii Rising, H-A-W-A-I-K-I, which is actually about by Sam Lowe, L-O-W. And it's actually an account of how Hawaiians built and then with the help of Micronesian named 
Mao Piao Lag, I'm pronouncing that wrong, and I apologize, how they recovered, having completely lost the understanding of celestial navigation and open ocean navigation, how they recovered it, and then it, that's the first half of the book, and the second half recounts the first journey in which um, the, the first of the new Hawaiian-born Native Hawaiian navigators, Nainoa Thompson, how they go from Hawaii to Tahiti, purely with celestial and open ocean navigation. It's amazing. So it's that's a that's a really great book. Now I'm going to read it. I'm a history nerd. I'm going to add it to my read, to be read list. So I'm about to put both of you on the spot. Are you are you ready? Are you ready for this? Oh, okay. Charles wants to know what do you think of the uh, Booksmuggler Publishing, and you have a story coming out from Booksmuggler Publishing very soon. What 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 do I think of Book Smugglers Publishing? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, see, Charles, that was you should have less. That open-ended. wasn't a hard question. <laughs> well, it's an embarrassing question. Though. Yeah, I'm making you like. Let's talk about how awesome you are. Let's do it. Fifteen minutes. Well, that's go. hard. Okay, that's hard. Because you're both great. Uh, I love Book Smugglers Publishing, and I love your writing. So let me tell you a secret. I had this for the Beatricia, which is a short story written in the form of an epic poem in iambic pentameter. And it's a story of Cat and Bee from the Spirit Walker trilogy before it actually takes place before Cold Magic. And it's also a retelling of the Aeneid. And I had written this because I had offered a short story set in the Spirit Walker world to Connor Bust, which is the organization that helps people of color attend science fiction fantasy conventions um, who might not otherwise be able to afford to go by providing um, memberships. So, and then they run an auction every year and I all try to provide something every year. So um, two people got into a bidding war. And, and one of the things that's funny about spirit Walker or about the bidding war was that one wanted a story that dealt more with what happened with the Romans, and one wanted a story that dealt more with the Carthaginian aspect. And, of course, the Roman Carthage were like mortal enemies. So the Carthaginian uh, won, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So it, it took me a while to get over my fear of being able to write poetry. But actually, once I started and got the rhythm in my head, it was easy. But then I had it, and then I had finished it, and then I sat on it for like six or nine months this, this finished piece of work and I didn't do anything with it. And I thought, you know, but I really need to do something with it. And finally, and I, I didn't want to, I can't publish it myself and I didn't want to just put it up, you know, as like a free story on my thing. Cause I wanted to try to reach more people than that. And then I thought, well, you know, book smugglers has that publishing program and they're really great. I wonder if I could, I, I could offer it to them. And then, cause this is how my brain works. Then my brain said, Oh no, they wouldn't want it. That would be an imposition. <laughs> I was like, and then we got the email and we, we basically shared our pants. <laughs> right? But the lesson in this, the lesson is this, is to people out there listening who may struggle with imposter syndrome, give yourself the permission someone else would give you. Pretend you're someone else giving you advice, not yourself giving you advice. Because that's what I had to do. I had to say, okay, Someone else would say, yes, yes, send it to them. So sometimes you can't listen to yourself. I can say with all honesty that it was one of the coolest emails that we have ever received in our lives. <laughs> and this is one of the best things that we have ever worked on. So the story is great and working with you is great. And you guys are going to get art. 
from one of my favorite artists, Julie Dillon. We are getting, yes, from Julie Dillon. That's another thing that almost made, gave me a heart attack. Yes, it's incredible. It's looking absolutely great. I have one question for you. Earlier in the episode, you were talking about how Lovecraft did not influence you. So who were your influences? That made me think when, when you said that. I was like, I want to know who actually influenced you. That is a hard question that I would have to think about a really, really long time because, and I'll give you a partial answer today. The problem with partial answers for me is that then I tend to fall back, I think as we all do, on the easy, obvious answers. And that is one reason that when people say, well, which are the best, you know, epic fantasy novels or the best, the most influential sci-fi novels, we always get these lists of men, right? Yeah. Because people fall back on what they hear constantly. But to really figure out and go through and get that apart would take more effort on my part. And I should actually probably do something like write an essay about it. But I read a lot of animal stories when I was young. I think Thornton Burgess's Mother Westwind stories, which were published in the, like the early part, very early part of the 20th century. And my dad had read them as a child and he had some old versions and they're stories of anthropomorphic animals and uh and things i mean like the wind the wind is anthropomorphized so there's mother west wind and her merry little breezes and the merry little breezes fly around and then they oversee and overhear all these interactions going on among the animals of the forest who talk to each other and have adventures and i think pretty sure except for mother west wind and her and her merry breezes i think all the animals were male like all those cartoons that we still have where it, even today you have these cartoons with animals and 95% of the voice actors are male and so they live in these worlds where they're like five. So that's how, you know, I always want to say that because that's an influence besides the fact that I love, that was my earliest influence of loving things that were fantastical that weren't the real world. Um, the other thing is, is it was my first influence to thinking that the focus of stories was male. And, and that there were stories and then there were stories about girls. Those were a separate category, you know, like, like indexes in academic works where you have the history of, you know, the 10th century and then you have an index that says women and then there's two entries, right? Two <laughs> yeah. In that. And then I read a lot of animal stories growing up. As a young teen, I read Tolkien and Tolkien is a huge, huge influence for me because he had built this whole world and I really loved it, but there were things about it I you know, I built a lot of worlds to put me in them because I wanted to start writing the worlds that I wanted to adventure in. I also, I think, Ray Bradbury. And then um, as I moved into high school, in terms of fiction, Jane Austen, who I oh. just love, love Jane Austen, uh, Ursula Le Guin, um, Dorothy Sayers, probably, although she oh, had, yes. there's a problematic, a writer with problematic issues in her own nonfiction and I'm, I'm gonna I'll say those and then as I got older I began reading other stuff especially in college there's some nonfiction and the easiest ones for me to think of were like Marcia Eliade who wrote a lot about the history of religions I, I've just always been so fascinated by religion and what it is and why human beings how we explain the cosmos the cosmos that we live in, how we explain who we are and why we're here and how it functions and how often religion is used to do that. So that was a big influence, I think, in terms of how it like sank down into my world building. And also in college and right after college, there was a lot of feminist stuff coming out. And I read 
a lot of it, there was like Mary Daly's Gynecology, which I read like two chapters of and said, no, this is not for me. I do not like this at all. I read a writer named Starhawk, whose book, The Spiral Dance, was kind of like trying to understand the cosmology, but with a more, you know, let's not forget the feminine. Let's talk about how the feminine pervades who we are uh, and, and the world. And, and a lot of books like that, some of which I really didn't think were very good, and some of which made me think, yes, I can write, you know, I really can write stuff in which women are centered. Robert Graves, the um, blank, the white goddess, which is actually a completely stupid book, but I really loved it, not because I believed in it. It, I, I can't describe it. It's like his poetical exegesis of how certain poetry was written in the early medieval and how poets function and the language of trees and what things, I can't even describe it. It doesn't even make any sense if you try to pull it <laughs> apart. But what I loved about it, I loved any book that tries to dig down in this weird associative way that doesn't make any sense about how things connect. And it's somehow related. I can't even explain this. It's somehow related to how religion is the structures of religion work that there's just, and it's somehow my, the way my, the architecture of my brain works when I write is that I see all these things and then I find connections between them. And that's how I write and why Sometimes people get confused, like with Black Wolves, because I introduce these characters. And to, to you, you may think, oh, she just wanted to do this character here and that character there. It doesn't make any sense. But if you read the whole book, I pull everything together. I don't know if that made sense, but I, see, I can no, see it. That, that I can means... visualize it. And so I love books like that because they appeal to the way I, I see connections between things that don't seem to be connected. And I love exploring how things are connected that we wouldn't normally associate with each other and how we build these edifices to help us try to understand the world and how we fit into it. That's what I'll say. There's more, but that's what that's I That's your partial answer? That's, that's, part that's answer. my partial answer. That's amazing. I have kind of like stars in my eyes like now you can see. <laughs> that's beautiful. I could tell as you were talking about your influences and as you were talking about growing up and then with every subsequent one, I saw the foundations and the way that you absorbed them into your writing. So that's great. It's amazing. Thank you. I, I never realized, it took me a long time to realize that the way I plotted is not the way many people plot. Because I do have these long-term goals. I always have the end in mind and, and, and there's stuff going on that may not seem in the moment. Like if you want immediate payoff, oh, yes, now they have to go here to collect the uh, the chest that has the gold in it they're going to use to buy the swords for the whatever, right? I don't really write like that. I'm actually, sometimes it seems like I don't know where I'm going, but I always know where I'm going, always. It's always constructed. The whole architecture is there. It's just sometimes it takes a while to pay off. I have a lot of trouble with epic fantasy. I think I've talked about it before, where I have to take notes. I'll have pages for characters so I can write down who they're connected to, what they're doing. It's really a problem. It doesn't seem to happen with science fiction unless unless it's like really far future stuff. But with epic fantasy, I was having to take tons and tons of notes and it was just turning me off reading epic fantasy because I was having to do all this extra work to be able to understand what was going on and, and I always felt stupid. But I started reading your epic fantasy, and I stopped having to do that. Oh, thank you. And 
it's helped your epic fantasy has actually helped me a lot with learning to follow threads and i don't think that it's simply that i'm bad at epic fantasy i just think i go into epic fantasy expecting things to be more like the way you plot them out and a lot of it that i was trying to read was not done that way it was just kind of plopped down and there was not a lot of layering happening Maybe you have the same kind of weird associative mind that I do. It might be that, but yeah, I i mean, I took No Steering Bicycles because obviously I reviewed it 8,000 times on the internet <laughs> because I loved it. It was great. Everybody go buy it immediately. Like the next time I reread it, I won't have to do that. And I don't feel like if I don't review the sequel, I probably won't have to take notes either. And I just think that's really great that your books give me a way to just sit down and enjoy epic fantasy in a way that doesn't make it work. Oh, thank you. That's a fantastic compliment. And now I'm blushing. Oh, sorry. The the end of this podcast is full of feelings. (laughs) Everybody's welcome. Everybody join our group hug. Yes. Before we go, can you talk a little bit about Black Wolves and since it's most your most recent publication and tell us what it's about and how awesome it is? Oh, I have so much trouble saying what this book is about. Because no, it's really hard. I'm, I agree. I'm not good at the, the... Well, first of all, I've never been good at distilling things into the pitch, you know, whatever, because that's not how I think, conceive of stories. And then also, this book is particularly hard. Uh, I, I will say that my big idea post about Black Wolves on John Scalzi's Whatever blog, that's actually a good longer description and about as succinct as I could make it. I love epic fantasy. I love it. And I put all my love for epic fantasy into this book. But I also have criticisms about how how epic fantasy is often seen, how often, who it centers on, whose stories get told, and how stories are often left out. And how I myself often leave out stories or, for instance, I might have a woman in a situation where she's where most people would write it, her as being passive and that she has no power and no agency to do anything. Uh, this is part of the story of Sarai, who's one of the characters. And I had to keep correcting myself. And I wanted, so I wanted to write stories in which women are absolutely doing things and, and often in roles that we associate with women in history in a more traditional sense – Because those women in history were doing things. And I wanted to show how you could do it. By that, I don't mean I hate talking about my books like in this intellectual idea space because really what I want is for people to connect with the characters. Um, And so I wanted to write older characters. I wanted to write older characters so they could look back on their lives and, and see the changes that had happened and also have to confront their own illusions and, and the lies they had told themselves as they got older and had to reflect on it. And I wanted to show young people who don't know what things used to be like, finding out what they used to be like, and also finding their own path, which is going to be new anyway, because you can't go back. I guess what Black Wolves is about is that you can't go back. No matter what happens, you can't go back to what it was before. That's a good description. I think, And it's also a story about grief. Yes. Um, it's, it's really, and, and I have to say that I was working on this on the first draft when my father became ill with, uh, or he is, his cancer came back and it, it, it did kill him. Um, and I couldn't work on it while he was in hospice, which was like two months. Um, and then when he passed away, I was really close to my dad. 
which is one reason that the relationship between Danner and Angie is the way it is. You, you glimpse it briefly. And actually, Lifka and her father as well. You can see that element in there. That's kind of my tribute to my dad. But um, it, then it took me a while to be able to start writing it again. And so that fact, so for me, this is the book in which I kind of process my grief for losing him. Now I'm having more feelings. Um, I'm sorry. So it's that too. But again, that's so, I hope that that comes across. I think uh, it really does. I yeah. had a lot of emotions during this book. I really, your character relationships are just so good. Black Wolves as a whole is so good. I love all your women characters. Not You don't even just have women characters in point of view roles. You have women characters in power in so many different places. And they're in the background. And it's wonderful to read a book that feels like like a reality. Like a full world. And Thank I really you. Because think... that's what I wanted. That's yeah. what I wanted. I wanted to show women not just in one or two or three roles where they do something. But everywhere. They're everywhere, those women. Who knew? And you did it. And I hope everybody goes and reads Black Wolves because it is great. Thank you. So thank you for coming on our show. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And thank you for having me. I so appreciate the work that both of you do so, so, so much. And I get, we can say the same. Fangirl Happy Hour is Anna Grillo and me, Renee Williams. I'm also our producer. You'll find links to some of our discussion topics in our show notes at fangirlhappyhour.com. Most of them are good and don't include people verbally filleting HP Lovecraft. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. We like your opinions. You can find us on Tumblr and Facebook at Fangirl Happy Hour. One long word, no spaces. You can definitely follow us over there. We won't say no. You can chat with us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. You can also find us under our personal accounts at Booksmugglers and at Renee. But watch out for emotions. Special thanks this week to Kate Elliott for once again donating her time to the show. Black Wolves, her latest release, is out now from Orbit Books. Our annual survey is live on the very internet you got this podcast from. Check out the show notes of this episode to find a link to fill it out if surveys are your thing. Our music is by Boxcat Games. Our logo is by the very talented era. You can commission them at justera.tomlar.com. For both myself and Anna, thanks for listening. See you next episode. And I just saw a huge spider in front of me. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, my sweet baby Jesus. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> this is not done. This should not be the
this is not even it is, because this is exactly how I would be reacting. <laughs> if I try and it falls behind all of my books, this is not... Then it'll be behind your books and you won't be able to see it, so it'll be fine. No, but what if it crawls to my bed at night? <laughs> is your bed in that room? No, but, then you I... know... Yeah, the thing has eight legs, Renee. You can walk to my bedroom. <laughs> Oh my god. I uh, will not be able to do this. Give me two minutes. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. That, well, at least it's not technology fail. Ah! <laughs> I can't. I can't. Where is this in this room? I don't. What, is it, can you ignore it? Ah, it's walking. I just wish I could help. I know. It's really frustrating to, like, well. We're on the other side of the world, literally. We can't do anything. <laughs> we got this answer. We got this answer. <laughs> Hope that's doing it in. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Is it dead? It's dead. You did it! I, I squished it like a motherfucker, so. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 